0: You're listening to a sermon in our series, Fully Alive, as we go through the book of Colossians. Visit LinworthRoadChurch.com for more. But all of you went right to submission, right? That's the first thing. You heard that word, and that's how you didn't hear anything else. you like, what is he going to talk about? How's this going to go this morning? Well, we're going to find out in just a little bit. But, um, you know, often that word itself is, is misunderstood. It's misused. Sometimes, sometimes it's abused. Uh, in relationships, and it's just this uh, concept in the Bible that is sometimes confusing for people. But let me tell you a a true story here. Uh, Early on in our marriage, Aaron and I, we've been working on about 35 years coming up here, and um, we were at a church in, of course, San Diego, where we're from, and uh, she was having a discussion with uh, this guy that was in our life group, and uh, she was having like kind of a debate with him about whether or not she should go to a party at her work. Uh, it was kind of a corporate party and there was going to be drinking. And she kind of knew who her fellow workers were. And she was just like, I don't know, I you know, I'm trying to figure out if I should go, what I should do. And, um, and she, you know, she decided, no, I need, to, I need to go. I need to be a witness here. And um, he said, no, you shouldn't go. You know, that's wrong. You shouldn't be around those people who are drinking. So, you know, it kind of fits right into Nick's message a couple of weeks ago. And, and she's going, and, and and then she said, Well, no, I think I'm gonna go. And and his answer was, Well, you know, you need to submit to me. I'm a man. I need I'm telling you that you can't go. <laughs> after he got back up to the floor, after no, just kidding. But uh <laughs> but Aaron, bless her heart, she said, you know, uh uh-uh, uh you know, I don't have to be submissive to you. I only have to be submissive to, to rich as I understand what that means. And so, um, so it's kind of, so there's reality of, of sometimes the mixed messages we get when we just hear that word and where we go. So, um, but seriously, you know, we can't even begin to look at and understand these two verses. I think without the lens of where we've been in, in Colossians. And Colossians, is, it's, it's so great as it moves into this thing about marriage and parenting and, and work and such. And so we're going to kind of go through that. If you can open up your Bibles, at page 984, and we're going to get into uh, Colossians here. And, uh, and so we're going to look through the lens of Colossians. In chapter 3, um, Paul has been describing in great detail that who we are in Christ and that we have a new self. We have this new spiritual clothing, so to speak, and we're to put on this new reality of who we are in Christ. And so we are these new creations, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things pass away, behold, new things have come. And he describes for us how our lives should look when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, when Christ is in us. And so you can follow along with me. Starting in verse 1, Paul was telling uh, us in, in verse 1, that if we have indeed been raised with Christ, in other words, we are now Christ followers who have surrendered our lives to Christ. And so if that, has, if that is true in your life, then we are to seek the things that are above where Christ is. We are to set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We are to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then he lists many of these things that we are uh, to put to death. And then he reminds us in verse 7 that we used to walk in these things, but now you must put them all away. And then we have this other list, which Chris went through last week, the words that, uh, these words of anger and wrath and slander and malice and obscene talk. He then goes on to verse 9, and he says, do not lie to one another. Why? Because you have put off the old self and you've put on the new self, and then, Verse 12, I like to, where this begins. It, it, you know, He, he switches and he says, put on some things here. This is what I want you to put on. Put on then as, and here's your position, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. That's, that's who we are in Christ. Do you hear that? That's who you are. Put on, okay, because of who he is in you, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. I wonder if that would work in marriage. Perhaps it would. You got it, right? Yeah, okay, good. But in verse 14, and above all, and I think this is my favorite part of this this whole section here, is put on love, which binds, connects, pulls together, connects everything together in perfect harmony. goes on in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts too. And by the way, be thankful. He's not finished, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell. Let it it immerse into who you are richly, teaching and admonishing one another. And finally, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so from there, Paul then shows how practically this new life in Christ begins to invade our relationships. So let's talk a little bit about the marriage relationship. The title of uh, this morning's marriage is, our message is Becoming Fully Alive in Your Marriage. Uh, why don't you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. It is powerful. Father, it is just amazing and how sweet it is that our position in you when we become Christ followers, how you see us, we are your beloved. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your instruction this morning. I ask that you, Holy Spirit, will you invade this space this morning? Will you teach us? Will you talk to us? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you're single, hang in there. Before you get married, you want to learn everything you can about, about marriage. So, um, hopefully this will be helpful. Um, to you as you learn some of the things that we'll talk about this morning. So the first thing that, that I want to do this morning is I want to paint kind of a picture. I want to paint a beautiful picture, a really broad picture of what marriage is and how it relates uh, and, and gets its power from the gospel. Because I believe that when marriage is understood and works, it does because it's, it's, it's bathed in the gospel and it operates in the gospel. And if it's bathed and if it operates in the gospel, then it means it's operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, which gives its beauty and power and relevance and truth into our lives. And so before I begin, um, let's read uh, the the two verses in Colossians, and then to get a a much broader picture of marriage um, and the gospel, we're going to read, you know, the most known verses on marriage And it's going to be Ephesians uh, 21 through 30 uh, on this. So first part here is I'm just going to read from the screen. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Then the second set of scriptures. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word And I'm going to end it, end it there. So, Paul shows us in these verses, uh, and wrapped in these verses, that the purpose of marriage is to reflect the gospel. Which brings us to our very first point, and, and that is the, of our marriages, and that is this our marriages become fully alive when they are lived out through the gospel. So let's talk about uh, how the gospel relates to, to our marriage. See, the gospel is this really beautiful story. And it's a story of a king who comes to save his bride from a slave. And that slave is sin. And so by his own sacrificial death, he redeems her and he restores her and brings her back into his kingdom. And so the gospel is a story of love and grace and humility and sacrifice. And the bride is the church. And that's us who is united to the king by by a covenant love that he has given to us, a a promise, a covenant relationship between people, which is the church, his bride, and himself. And it's, it's, it's really what happens in this is, is, is kind of a, it, there's an exchange that takes place here. He exchanges our poverty, our spiritual poverty. He exchanges that for spiritual riches. He ch- exchanges death and punishment for his life and victory. And so what he did in this whole process is that he gave up everything, For us, and he desires all of us, both men and women, to be willing to give up everything for him, to submit to him, to surrender to him as Lord, and to obey him. And so that's how we show our gratitude, and that's how we respond to him, that's how we show our love to him. He won't force it on us, it has to be a choice here and a gift to give our lives to him. It's a gift that we give our lives to him, just as it was a gift that he gave his life for us. He died for us willingly, and now it's up to us to live for him in the same way. And so what I'm getting at is that both sides of this Holy Covenant relationship are gifts. They're freely given to the other, the bride, church, and Christ. Both commit everything that they have. As Christians, we are all a part of the bride of Christ. And so as one person put it, it looks like this. Marriage is to be a living parable of the intimate one spirit relationship between Christ and his beloved church, his people, those who know him, love him and serve him as Lord. And that is marriage as a as a picture of the gospel, everything that he did, and as he relates, as we'll see in the verses of his sacrifice for his bride and, and loving her, was all done for us. Now, because the gospel is of grace is beautiful, the marriage relationship itself, reflecting the gospel, is is supposed to be beautiful. And as a husband and wife live out their unique callings in marriage, they share in this beauty. They, they shine a light into a dark world, and this pointing to Jesus. And so God uses the marriage relationship and how we interact and how it looks and the things that we're going to learn to shine a light on to him. So obviously, based on our two scriptures here in our text in Colossians, uh, we're going to talk about the husband and wife's roles and responsibilities in marriage. And let's begin by a quote from uh, a book called Preparing for Marriage. This is the book that we use for our premarital counseling for all our couples, um, which Aaron and I um, uh, have a blast doing. We have two couples. Uh, well, yeah, we have working with one couple now, one on dock, and, and who knows who else will be getting married. and so. Uh, but we have fun with it. But let me go ahead and read this um, Uh, This quote, the irony is that every marriage settles into some type of social and organizational arrangement with both husband and wife playing specific roles to uphold it. The question is whether these responsibilities should be defined by the God who created marriage or the opinions of humans. And so see, basically every husband and wife, you know, we all enter into a marriage with some kind of expectation uh, for what our roles are supposed to be. And it's based on how we were raised, what our parents did, what it looked like there. Uh, there's other elements that contribute to it, the um, basic culture that, excuse me, that we are in, friends, other marriages, television, movies, and it's just our personal preferences of what we think it should look like. But no matter what our views are re- regarding these roles, regarding these, these gender roles in marriage, there are truths that are established for us, in a great design that God did and as he made us male and female. In Genesis 1.26, he says this, In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And that means that our maleness, our, our femaleness, it's not something that is an accident, okay? It's not incidental to our humanness, but it, it tells us what the very essence of, very essence of who we are. Kathy Keller, in a book uh, which is co-written with her husband, uh, Tim Keller, um, on marriage, says this, and explains that God's design of male and female are equal in dignity and worth, but were intended to complement each other. And so, for example, in Genesis, God tells us to be fruitful, fill the earth, although neither sex can do that on their own. Reproduction requires a complementary union of the two different sexes. And so right from the very beginning, we see that although God made us in his image, males and females are different. And then she continues uh, and says that our differences should not be seen as superior or inferior, nor should we get caught up in the specific duties our current culture may feel are appropriate. Rather, our goal should be to look at the roles Christ exemplified for us. And so now the, the question kind of continues. How do we live out uh, these verses in our marriage? Uh, what does it look like, submission and love? How do we understand them? Well, that takes us to our second point. And our second point is this, that our marriages become fully alive when we understand the universal truth of biblical love, leadership, and submission. And so we cannot look at the two commands that we see, you know, submit and love, without understanding that, excuse me, that biblical love, leadership, and submission affects every single one of us. And that's where it starts. So it's just not isolated to one of the sexes. So let's begin by looking at biblical submission. Uh, first off, the submission of Christ uh, to God and the Father. We find that in Luke chapter 22, verse 40, uh, uh, 42, where he's on the Mount of Olives. He's crying out. He's asking God to, to, to what he is going to face to let, let this pass. And then we hear these words, not my will, but yours be done. And so that's the essence of biblical submission is that we see Christ submit to the Father. And these are the words of Christ within hours of his betrayal and of his crucifixion. And so if anybody, if there was anybody that had a reason for wanting to find another way for people to be made right with God, it was Jesus Christ. But this is what happened. He chose. He chose to submit to God the Father, for our benefit. Yeah, of course. But primarily, because he loved his Father. So he obeyed and he submitted himself to God the Father. And so, when we take a look at this word submission, uh, in the sense that God uses it in the Bible, uh, it's it's a concept that begins in the unity uh, in the Trinity in the relationship of equals. Jesus is not inferior in any way to God the Father. They are are one. But the Father has his position of authority. The Son honors his Father's authority. He's not a second-class citizen. He's not a slave. He doesn't have any less value. He's not any less God, okay? In fact, his willingness to submit to and honor his Father leads to his own glory later uh, where he is seated at the right hand of God. Secondly, the submission of all believers. Every one of us, every Christian, whether male or female, has the responsibility to submit to the Lord. We find these in verses like James 4, 7, 1 Peter 5, 6, and in Romans uh, 12, 1. Our primary relationship of submission and, and authority is between ourselves as believers and Christ. And that is true and the same for all believers, and that's why we call him Lord. And so we have, we have no difference there as we submit uh, to Christ. And so the biblical concepts of submission and authority, uh, they, they go together. We, we can't really separate those two. They go together and submission is something that, that all Christians, as I said, are called to do. We see this even in the authorities that are placed in our lives. For example, we are called to submit to the governing authorities in 1 Peter 2. In Romans 13, children are to obey their parents, right here in Colossians 3. And then in the body of Christ, we, we read uh, verse 21 in Ephesians chapter 5, um, believers are to submit to one another. And then there's a, a handful of, of key passages and scriptures which we uh, have a specific call for wives to submit to their husbands. And we see that in what we're talking about this morning, Ephesians, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, Titus, and 1 Peter. And so those are all in there. And so we're all called to submit. But in Ephesians 5.21, we see that wives and husbands, along with everyone in church, and I just wanted to highlight this in verse 21, that we are called to submit to, to one another, out of reverence for Christ. So as we respond to Christ, we'll get into this in a little bit, we are to be submit to one another. That's called, in the church world or whatever, It's called mutual submission, okay? So what's this whole picture of submission look like? The church, us, we submit to Christ by recognizing him as the head, and we follow his leadership. Christ is submits to the church by loving her, voluntarily submitting himself and temporarily surrendering his status, taking on the form of a slave, giving himself up for us and presenting her, us, holy and blameless. And so when Paul compares the wife to the church and the husband to Christ in Ephesians 5 in marriage, he is saying that in a a lot of, in different ways, he's saying that the ways in which their mutual submission is expressed is going to be different. The woman will follow her husband 's lead, and the man will exercise his leadership by serving his wife as christ like leaders do and so that brings us to our third point. Our marriages become fully alive when the husband is submitted to Christ and learns christ 's way of love. Now I kind of switched this around. I went with the, the husband's first and then We'll we'll talk about the wives uh, secondly here. And so this verse verse in Colossians uh, 3, verse uh, 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, the first thing I want to say is that second part, do not be harsh with them. I am not going to expound on this. Men, listen up. Do not be harsh with your wives. Amen from our sisters? Okay, (laughs) sorry. But seriously, guys, do not be harsh with your wife. You know it. They do not respond. It's not loving them. This is this this whole part of 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 this instruction to husbands and how they're supposed to love. It's pretty crazy to the people of that time. And you can think of them and going, "Hey, this is great." Yeah, we're because because the way that 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 women were treated at that time, I mean, it was you know you've heard it here oftentimes just how terrible it is. I'm not going to run through those things, but perhaps they thought, "Okay, wow." There's Christians, wow, they're telling, telling that, that they're supposed to lead and the women are supposed to submit. But it was a whole, it's a whole different picture because now he explains what leading looks like to them. How does this work, Ben? Because not only are we called to love our wives, we are called to lovingly, servantly lead them and love them with Christ as our example. And I think the easiest and the most profound instruction is in the marriage verses in Ephesians 5. So let's just go right back there. Let's take a look at them again. And so husbands, or if you're engaged, or someday uh, uh, you will be engaged or you want to be married, guys, I need you to lock in on these verses. uh, Starting with verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Circle that in your Bible. Just as Christ loved the church. Circle just as. How? How? And gave himself up for her. Why? To make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church. Without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. But holy and blameless. And he goes on, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Guys, did you did you isolate those words? Did you see those words? Did you hear those words? Or is this scripture passage so familiar to it and you hear it at every single wedding? That is, Yeah, 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 I know what that's about. Do we really know what this is about? Do we understand our position how we love our wives? How we are to present her? You wonder why it says, do not be harsh, right? Here's the opposite. This is what we are to do. So the whole foundation you know, that we see, even in the whole, this, this beginning, this whole chapter uh, of Ephesians chapter 5, even the, the chapter itself, it begins about love. Okay? Paul... He, uh, um, he uses the root of that word, and he, he, he brings it through all of Ephesians, and he uses it about nine different times here. The chapter starts off like this in verse one, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And so when Paul is finished going through this entire chapter here, he's, he's, he's talked about love about nine different times, um, and he drives it home of what Christian homes should look like, what Things are supposed to be husbands how we are supposed to love our wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, verse 25. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, verse 28. Again, in verse 28, he who loves his wife loves himself, verse 28. Let each of you love his wife as himself, verse 33. And then remember, our new lives that we put on in Colossians that we talked about. Uh, in verse 14, above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, man, everything that we do in our marriage, leading, loving, and serving, is to be clothed in love. I hope you heard that. I hope you heard that. Finally, man, as far as this thing that we're calling serving and loving leadership, somebody put it this way. Um... And this is paraphrased from the book, Preparing for Marriage Again. The response of a godly man to being in a position of God-given leadership is humility. It's not arrogance or pride, but love and sacrifice. Because a husband's leadership in marriage is not based on superior abilities, but simply on divine placement. I mean, it could have been the other way around, but this is the way God designed it. It means being accountable to God and putting your wife's needs above your own. It means making her load lighter, not heavier. It means helping her develop and utilize her gifts and abilities. It means loving her sacrificially. Okay, guys. Shall we pivot as Christ usually, or as Christ, <laughs> as Christ usually says? He has that. Doesn't use that term. Okay, you want to pivot with me? Okay, let's move on to the ladies here, and uh, and we're gonna pivot to when the wife is, um, or point number four, which says this, a marriage is becoming fully alive when the wife is submitted to Christ and learn Christ's way of submission. So we're back at Colossians 3.18, which says, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Let me give you another definition um, from the book, Preparing for Marriage, on what submission looks like. It says this, supporting your husband... Being subject or submissive to his leadership is a choice to compliment him rather than compete with him. It does not mean that you are inferior, that you lose your identity, or that you ignore your own gifts. And it does not mean you blindly obey or submit to verbal or physical abuse. And it does not mean following a husband into sin. And so I think it was good to also kind of come from a woman's perspective here, coming from... Uh, once again, Kathy Keller here uh, in the book "The Meaning of Marriage." Um, she said this. She said that I discovered here that my submission in marriage was a gift that I offered, not a duty coerced from me. And so she, what she did, she acknowledged how Christ's submission was was voluntary, was, was voluntarily, and that Jesus's submission to God in lowering Himself in the same way was a gift that he offered to his father. And so she writes, submission is a is gift that we offer. Ladies, ultimately, and I, and I want you to hear this, your submission is primarily to Christ, not your husband. It flows through Christ to your husband. But ultimately, your submission is primarily to Christ, not your husband. Your primary motivation is, as is the man's and his roles and his responsibility as a husband. The reason you follow leadership of your husband, it's out of reverence, respect, and submission of your life to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so just like the husband, a a godly wife has this attitude towards Christ, not my will, but yours be done. She desires God's will above her own. Her intimacy and relationship with Christ and her husband are much more valuable to her than wanting her own way. Which when a marriage is operating in love, it's really not even an issue because he's fulfilled and she's fulfilled. Ultimately, her faith is in Christ. But because she has great faith in Jesus, she can now show, her great, she can show great faith in her husband. And really, what it comes down to, uh, ladies, it, it's an attitude of, of the heart. It's letting the gospel push through what God has done in your life, as we learn in the first part of, of, of Colossians there. It's an attitude of the heart. So the challenge, friends, then isn't headship or submission said like this, But loving God and allowing His love to transform our homes. Like Christ loved the church, the husband must love and sacrifice for his bride. Like Christ submits to the father, the wife must submit to her husband. Both husbands and wife get to reflect Jesus in their marriage. And so this kind of mutual Christ-likeness provides dignity it provides honor, love, and respect for the husband and wife and allows a marriage to become fully alive. Okay, we're going to be finishing up here in just a moment. So as a practical here of the marriage relationship, as we looked at both the man and the woman, you know, what, what does that kind of mean in the sense of, of, of what the man and the woman are supposed to do? Okay. Does it mean that the husband makes all the decisions? Is that what you heard? No. Because look through the Bible. It doesn't say that in the Bible. Does it mean that the husband uh, handles the money? Mm. Doesn't say that in the Bible. There's no details there on how that's done. And so we come together as husband and wife. We, we come one. We are our own unit we are a part of the body of Christ. We are part of the community, but we, we have to make and figure out what this looks like in our own marriages. And so um, I'm going to bring up my wife Erin here, and uh, you can give her a hand. And uh, if, you're new, if you're new, then um, you probably never met her, but uh, it's my lovely wife. They always say lovely wife. She's my lovely wife. And we've been married for, whoa, almost uh, 35 years. And uh, so uh, it's been pretty cool. It's been a great adventure. And so, but uh, in the spirit of the topics here this this morning, (laughs) sorry, we're having issues with the mic. I do love you. Just stand over there. Okay. (laughs) But what I was going to say in the spirit of of, of the the topics this morning, I told Aaron she had to come up here and be here. And if she didn't listen... At 9 o'clock last night, okay. <laughs> so anyways, with the, so I knew I was going to be talking on this subject. And, um, and so I asked Aaron, I said, what do, you, what do you think this looks like in our marriage? I mean, how does this, how does this work out? And, and I said, D- can you remember any time that I said, well, that's my decision, and that's the way it's going to be? And um, we thought for days, and we just were not able to. I, well, we finally came up with something. We made it up. No. <laughs> Just kidding. But we, we couldn't think of this, this uh, with anything, right? And so never said need to to <laughs> so even our move out here from Ohio, man, that was a big deal. We were moving our kids out here from Ohio, from San Diego, from California to here. Even in that process, I know, you know, Nick asked me about that. Um, he said, hey, well, what about, what about your move? You know, what was that like? Did you guys, you know, what was it? And it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful as we we took on our role. So um, why do you think that is, babe? Yeah that was that was what that was like on that on that move yeah Oh, you can repeat it. Thanks. Thanks. Go. I mean, really, I think submission is about faith. And it's about faith in God. It's not about faith in your husband and how perfect he is. Because he's not. But it is about faith in God. Um, all right. Thanks. Oh, go ahead. You to go and take it. Take the mic with you. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the reason I think that it works in our marriage, really, um, because. I mean, seriously. I take the responsibility of loving loving Aaron. You know, as Christ loves the church, I take it seriously, and it's very, very important to me. And, and Aaron, I know she takes her responsibility to honor the Lord by submitting to me seriously. And and what that means in a marriage, and in our marriage, and, and it should be in, in in marriages that she is cherished. She has a huge voice in our marriage. And that means that I'm respected and and supported and it, it just works so um, so we, we talked about us because that's the most real thing to us it's it's how we entered it's how we learned about loving servanthood and, and submission and so it's, it's not out there to say look we got this perfect marriage because we are real humans who sin and we don't And sometimes we get mad at each other. And sometimes, you know, we don't like each other. And, and those things are just real in marriages. But we have learned these principles. And when I'm doing my thing, it's not, it's not an issue. It usually goes there. It's when the guy is doing or not doing his thing in marriage is when there tends to be issues. So um, I hope you get a little picture of that. All right, um, did you didn't bring up the sign, did you? Oh, okay. The band can start coming up here, and we're going to finish this um, here. But uh, this is our, our favorite verse you cannot see. It. It's Philippians 2, 3, and 4. We started giving this to our uh, couples that we um, do premarital counseling with, and, and it's, "...do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself." Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And so we just tell our couples now, the very first week, memorize this. And if you can learn this, we don't have to meet any more times. Your marriage will be perfect. So, (laughs) but it's really true. That is the spirit of what a relationship uh, looks like. Uh, Let me pray. Father God, thank you uh, just for this uh, interesting set of scriptures here. Lord, I pray that um, that you came through in this, that your word uh, came through in this, uh, not me, uh, and that uh, you were lifted up. Lord, I pray for marriages here that might be suffering, uh, that haven't been able to figure out how to get it right. I just pray that these little tidbits here will be will just be food for their souls, uh, that they will begin to apply just some of these things. Some of them are so simple. And Father, we know that it's, it's just a lot of it is overcoming pride in our relationships. And so, Father, I pray uh, for the marriages here, for those that are not married yet, that are single, that it might be getting married sometime too, that they were able to hear truth uh, this morning. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.